This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. David was standing there with his army of 600 men about to attack the enemy. But the weird thing was, David, the future king of Israel, was standing not with the army of Israel, but the army of the Philistines. And he was not about to attack one of the greatest enemies of Israel, like the Malachites or the Philistines or the Edomites or something like that. No, he was about to attack the Israelites. What? David and his 600 men are on the side of the Philistines, are in the Philistine army, and they are about to attack the Israelite army? This makes no sense. He's attacking his own people. How in the world? How did this happen? Now, it's an interesting story how this happened. And we do know what happens later on, but I want you to know at this point, David is in a bit of a pickle. David is in a very bad way. He's literally with the Philistine army about to attack the Israeli army. And the Israeli army is led by Saul, who was also in a bit of a pickle himself. This whole story is a little sad. This whole story is about two men making horribly bad choices. And David, he may have made it for the right reason, but in the end, he made some bad choices and he is paying the price. And Saul, well, he's just continuing down a path he started of sin and more sin and more self-absorption sin and sin and sin. 
Saul sort of ended up where he is because he's just a bad dude. But David, what are you doing with the Philistines? And why are you about to attack the Israelis? Why are you about to attack your very own people? Well, it all starts in 1 Samuel chapter 27. See, here David has just spared the life of Saul in 1 Samuel 26. And he did the right thing and he waited upon the Lord and he did what was right and he made the right choice. Yay for David! But then... (sighs) David gets tired. He's hiding in the desert. He's hiding in holes. He has 600 men and their wives and families. And he has his own two wives and now their children. And he's tired of running. And But the thing is, he knows that God is going to protect him. He knows that he is the next king of Israel. He knows he's got God's divine protection. Yahweh will take care of him. But... Eight years of running and running and running will take its toll on anybody. And here we have David, eight years of running from Saul. And he's starting to get discouraged and to lose heart. He wants to just give up. He's tired of the whole thing. And it says here in 1 Samuel 27 that David thinks within his heart. He says within his head. Now, now the thing is, he's surrounded by some wise people, right? He's surrounded by Abigail, his beautiful and discerning wife. He has Abiathar, the high priest, who made some right choices and is standing next to him. He could probably go and find Jonathan and get some wisdom from him. But here, he's by himself. And you know, sometimes when you're by yourself, your mind just starts to play tricks on you. And your emotions start to well up. And he's thinking, man, I've been running for eight years. I'm tired of living in holes in the ground. I'm tired of living in deserts. I'm tired of always having to go to the bathroom in some cave. Oh, man, I want to have a cool toilet, you know, in the palace. I want to have a nice soft bed. I don't want to do any more of this running and hiding and living in caves. This is ridiculous. And maybe his emotions build and build. But again, he had just done the right thing. He had just followed Yahweh and spared Saul's life, even though he could have killed him. But he did right. Well done, David. But now, again, I think in the moment of being by himself and of being tired and of just being weary, You know, the Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good. The Bible says, don't give up doing right. The Bible knows that in doing right, you can get discouraged. And I think here with David, we meet a man who's discouraged. He's weary. Like I said, eight years of running and living in the desert and in caves and running and running and running. That's exhausting. David thinks in his heart here in chapter 27, I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul, which makes no sense because he heard Saul say, you know, hey, you are now the king of Israel. I know that my family is going to perish. You are going to one day rule. I mean, Saul says that and he's heard Saul say it repeatedly. 
But you know, your emotions can just take over and he's just tired of running and he's just tired of doing the right thing. I just want to encourage you. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. You maybe have been choosing the right thing over and over and over and over again. But sometimes, man, that temptation to maybe go to a website you shouldn't go to, to maybe watch a program you shouldn't watch, to see something you know you shouldn't, and you have been walking away from it, putting it away, not looking. You have fought the fight against the flesh time and time again, but you grow weary. Maybe you own a business and you choose to do right and you sell to the right people and you treat people correctly, even though you could make a lot of money if you just sort of looked the other way or took a little thing under the table. And so the chance comes along and you've been doing right, but man, how much money I could make and everybody else is doing it. You made the right choice of waiting for the right person and not just falling in love with anybody, not just pursuing anybody, and you choose the right relationships over and over and over again, but man, you are tired of being lonely. You're tired of being by yourself. Maybe you've obeyed your mom and your dad over and over again. Okay, I'm going to make my bed without complaining. I'm going to clean up my room without complaining. I'm going to get in the car without complaining. I'm going to do what they want me to do. I'm going to set the table without complaining. I'm going to do this all without complaining. But then this one time, you're just like, I can't do it. And you just snap because you are weary of doing right. They're exhausting. It's the way your head and your heart feels, right? I want to encourage you, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing right. That's what the Bible says. And here David is an example of a man who chose to do right and right and right and right. And now, after eight years, he's about to choose wrong. And I think it's just because he's tired. He's weary, and what's this wrong thing he's going to choose? Well, he says, you know, Saul is going to kill me, and he's not going to give up chasing after me. Wrong. And he's going to kill me. Wrong. He knows these things are wrong. But he gets tired, and he says, I'm just, I'm out of here. I, I am going to go to a place where Saul can never find me, and he is going to leave me alone. I am going to go to the Philistines. And I'm going to live with them. And when I do that, when I leave Israel, Saul will give up following me. And that's what David does. He goes over to the enemy with his 600 men and his two wives. And he goes to a man he'd been to before, the king of Gath, Achish. Remember that earlier? He, he went there to sort of escape and to get out of Israeli territory. And the king of Gath, Achish, when he thought he had David, David had to act insane. Remember that? He had to let drool run down his beard. And he barely got out alive. Well, now he doesn't lie or pretend or deceive to, to be anything but he is. David shows up. And he shows up with the 600 men. 
And he shows up with his two wives, who, by the way, one was Ahinoam of Jezreel, and the other one was that discerning, intelligent, beautiful Abigail. And they show up, two wives, 600 men, and Achish says, all right, David, you want to join me? All right, you can join me. And David says, all right, okay, but listen, I want my own homestead. I want my own area to live. And so Achish thinks about it. And he's thinking, you know, David, if I could get him to turn, if I could get him to become maybe a Philistine in heart, not by ethnicity, but if he could fight, I should treat him well. All right, okay. And so Achish, the king of Gath, says, all right, this is what we'll do. I'll give you Ziklag, the city of Ziklag. It's yours. You can live there. You can be the king. You just got to fight for me when I ask you. You can't trouble me, will you? David's like, all right, I'll do that. I'll do that. So David goes to Ziklag with his 600 men and his two wives. And when Saul hears of that, Saul sends out a memo. All right, we are quit chasing after David. No more, you know, if he has fled to Gath, to that Achish guy, we're leaving him alone. He is out of Israel. Yay! The Bible says he no longer sought him. David accomplished one thing. Saul was no longer after his life. Yeah! But he did something wrong in doing this, I think. You know, he quit depending on God. And he thought within himself, I'm going to strategically think of my own ideas and go with my own thoughts. And, hey, I'm going to go make an alliance with this foreign king, an enemy of my people. It wasn't just anybody. It was an enemy of my people. And I'm going to go join them. And it works. Saul quits following him. But I think he's starting to head down a sinful path. Well, the next step where David sins, he goes out and he takes his army and he goes on raids. And he takes his army and he raids south of him and east of him. And he raids a group of people called the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites. We've heard of them earlier, right? Saul was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites. And and here David goes on raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Everybody ends in ites. I don't know why back then. But that's what he does. He goes on these raids and starts killing these people. And he doesn't just kill them. David wipes them out, all the men, all the women, all the children, so that none of them could go back and tell King Achish of Gath what is really happening. Now, I don't know if you remember it, but in the story of Joshua, the people were supposed to go into the land, and all the inhabitants were under the ban. They were supposed to wipe them out. Well, the fact that David could still raid against the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Malachites are proof that they didn't follow God in that. And so God is using David's wrong motives to ultimately accomplish his goal, which was to wipe these people out. Their sin had reached a level that they deserved this wrath, this punishment of God. 
And so God, again, is using David to accomplish what Joshua and his people should have accomplished hundreds of years before. And so David would go on these raids and he'd wipe out the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Malachites and he'd totally destroy them so they couldn't go back and tell. Somebody couldn't escape and tell what was really happening because when David came back from these raids, he would tell Achish, hey, you know what? I went on a raid today. And Achish is like, all right, who did you raid? And he'd say, oh, I, I, I raided into the tribe of Judah. Now, if you remember, Judah is a tribe of Israel. Or I raided into the Kenites. And all of these are people that are connected with Israel. Judah was actually a tribe, but the others are more like tribes that are friendly to Israel. And, and David should never have been killing them as a true Israelite. But as a Philistine now, Achish is thinking, yes! You kill them. You wipe them out. This is something that needs to be done. And David would actually raid the Amalekites, but he would say, I raided into Judah today. He would raid the Gerzites, but he would actually say, I raided against the Kenites. He was lying. Absolutely lying to King Achish. And the other problem is he would bring him spoils of war. Now, if he was truly wiping out these people and putting them under the ban, God said, I want you to wipe out all the women, all the children, all the men, and then all their cattle, all their jewelry, melt it, burn it. Nothing is left for you to take. You take nothing. But David didn't follow that. Because he wiped out the people, but he kept the best sheep, the best oxen, the best donkeys, the best camels, and all the fancy garments. And he would bring it to Achish, the spoils of war, and, and Achish would take some of it, and he'd be, he'd be like, yes, this is great. Thank you, David. This is wonderful. David is not following what God wanted him to do. And David is lying to accomplish it. I think this should have sent red flags to David to accomplish what I want to do. If I have to lie to do it, then I better stop doing it. And that's a good principle to live by, right? If I have to do something sinful to accomplish what I think is this good thing, then I better stop and rethink what I'm doing. If I have to cheat on my taxes to accomplish maybe giving more towards some building fund for my church or giving more money so they can dig more waters, more wells over in some country that they don't have their own wells, and I think, yes, I'm giving to charity, I'm doing great things, but I've got to cheat on my taxes to do it. I better rethink that. If I have to hang out with the bad group of friends in order to get on the team or to be considered cool at school, I better stop it. Don't do something wrong to get something right. And here David, he's wiping out all these people and he's probably thinking, I'm accomplishing what God wanted originally all the way back with Joshua. But he's not. Because he's keeping all the spoils of war giving some of it to Achish, keeping some of it for himself. 
And by doing this, he's going downwards and downwards and downwards. But he's accomplishing what he thinks he wants because this whole time he's doing this, Achish is just thinking, David is the greatest guy. David is the greatest guy. He thinks, Achish thinks, David is working for me because, look, he's making himself a stench to the people of Israel. That's what it literally says. Achish thinks David is making himself a stench to his very own people. So by doing that, David is going to become more and more ingratiated to me. He's going to become more and more a part of the Philistine world. Yes, David. You're the man. Yo. Ah, this is awesome. And David thinks, whew. I'm lying to Achish, but I'm safe. I can now increase my wealth. My family's safe. We've got this cool city named Ziklag. Woohoo! We are doing great. And someday I'm going to turn on Achish and come back to Israel and everything's going to be wonderful. Yes! Then one day, knock, knock, knock door opens and it's some emissary, some messenger from Achish. And he says, David, hey, you got to come up here to Gath and we've got to talk. So David comes up and Achish says, listen, we are going to war. And David's like, yes, that's awesome. And David, you are going with me. And David's thinking, yes, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, I'll get in some battle skills. My men will become battle hardened and they'll learn how to fight. Yeah, yeah, I could learn some battle techniques from Achish. He's not too bad. Yeah, let's do this. And they're high-fiving and Achish says, yes. And you know who we're fighting? And David says, no. And Achish says, we are fighting Israel. Woohoo! And he holds out his hand for high-five and... David's like, oh, I've got to fake this. Yeah, woo! And he smacks him and high-fives him back. All right, all right. We are going to battle against Israel. And, and Achish says, you know what's even better? I am going to make you my bodyguard. You're going to stand right next to me. Awesome. Yes, woo This is going to be great. Oh, no. What is David going to do? He's got to go into battle with the Philistines against his very own people. See, his plan backfired big time. His great plan to escape backfired big time. Well, while David's going through his struggles... Saul, on the other hand, he's just continuing a spiral downwards and downwards and downwards and downwards. Well, this great Philistine army that is coming up to the Valley of Jezreel to invade Israel, and David has to be a part of it, this great army, it gives Saul immense fear. When he sees this army and all this amount of people amassed against him, he's thinking, what am I going to do? I need help. I need wisdom. One of the first places he used to go to was Samuel the prophet, right? Well, Samuel had died and had been buried in Ramah, and he can't go to him anymore. And so he's been praying and calling out to Yahweh and asking, 
asking for help. Please, Lord, please. I, I, I need to know, but Yahweh, he didn't answer him. Because Yahweh rejected Saul all the way back when he didn't obey what he wanted him to do against the king of the Malachites. And so God was silent. And so Saul would go to the high priest that he had and would consult the Urim and the Thummim. And he'd try to get an answer that way, but it was silent. And then he would go to bed and just, please, Lord, come to me in a dream. Talk to me in a dream. Talk to me through something like that. Please, please, I must know that way. So he sought the Lord himself through the Urim and the Thummim, and he looked for dreams and nothing. Nothing. Because God had rejected Saul. Everything was silent. No spiritual direction. Samuel was dead. No spiritual understanding. He was desperate for help. So then he goes, where am I going to get spiritual understanding? Now remember, Saul, he's messed up. He is not thinking correctly. He thinks... You know, I've got to have spiritual understanding. And he, he should have realized that Yahweh is the one true God, the one unique Elohim, the greatest God of all gods. But he thinks, I need answers from the spiritual domain. I need answers. So instead of pursuing Yahweh and asking for forgiveness or doing something that he knows would honor Yahweh, instead he pivots to the dark side, to the spiritually dark world. And he calls his servants and he says, listen, I, I, I need spiritual direction. I, I need this. And so he says, I need you to seek out anybody, a necromancer or spiritist or, or anything. Please, I need this. I, I need a medium or, or, or something to help me understand what to do. See, Saul had driven out all the mediums and all the necromancers. And necromancers is a fancy word in the Bible for somebody who basically would talk to the dead. I need somebody who can talk to dead people, talk to ghosts, talk to witches and mediums. I need somebody, please, he's turning to the spiritual dark side. He is so desperate for direction. And his messengers ask around, hey, 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 do you know where there's a witch that Saul can talk to? Do you know where there's a necromancer, somebody who talks to the dead that Saul can talk to? What a weird thing to have to ask around. But eventually they find one. And it's a woman. It's a witch who lives in a small village called Endor. Now the thing about Endor is... To get to Endor, Saul has to leave Israel and go around the Philistine army and then go to Endor. Because like I said, he kicked them all out of Israel. He, he's pursuing the very thing that God told him to kick out. He's trying to find direction and he's choosing wrong. And why is he going to the spiritually dark side, the demonic side? Hey, I just want to say, the spirit world is real. 
don't mess with it. Don't even remotely mess with it. The Bible says the only way to, to, to access the spiritual world is through Jesus and through pursuing him and through prayer and through praying to God the Father and praying through his son Jesus and praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is it. If you have a Ouija board, you can get those, you know, and it game stores everywhere. It's bad. Don't mess with it. Don't do weird statements and chants into the mirror, you know? Don't do it. It's a scary, horrible place. And it's a supernatural world that we should not be messing with as Christians. What Saul does. So he sneaks out. He takes two of his messengers with him and they all dress up in disguise. And they go to Endor. And they come up to the witch. And he says to her, divine for me a spirit and bring up whoever I mentioned to you. And the witch says, no, I hang on. You know that Saul has kicked all of us out. And you know that if Saul discovers me as a witch, I'll be killed. Is this some sort of trap to bring about my death? How do you know I'm even a witch? And she's acting like, I don't know anything. I I, I don't know. And, and then Saul says, as the Lord lives, he swears by Yahweh. Think about that. He's swearing by Almighty God to have this witch do something she should never do. What a messed up dude Saul is. But he is so desperate. And so she agrees. So she brings him into her tent or her little hut there in Endor. I don't know if she has some crystal ball. Maybe she waves her hand over. Or, or maybe she just sits there holding hands with Saul. And they talk about. And they do some enchantment. And she's thinking, you know, I'm going to do my normal thing. And I'm going to have some demonic being come up and tell me something. But then... <gasps> she sees a being come up out of the ground. <gasps> she, she, she's never seen anything like this before. Like I said, she, she's probably messed around a little bit with demonic voices. But, but this is... And she screams... And it's all like, wait, wait, what do you see? Why do you see? Who, who, who do you see? And she goes, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Because she knows who she's staring at. She knows she's staring at the prophet Samuel. And she puts Saul and Samuel together because they were connected. And she knows their history. And she's like, I have never seen anything like this before. And, and Saul says, no, you have got to tell me. What do you see? Don't be afraid. What do you see? And she says, I see a God coming up out of the earth. Now, the word there for God is the Hebrew word Elohim. Now, there's only one true capital G God, and his name is Yahweh. He is Elohim, right? 
but he is the one true God. He is a unique Elohim. The word Elohim is used of various figures. It can be used to talk about angels. It can be used to talk about other little g-gods. It can even be used to talk about Yahweh himself. And here it's being used to talk about Samuel. Now, Samuel wasn't a god. He never would be a god. The word Elohim here signifies where he's living, the residence. And there's two areas to live, right? There's the natural world, which me and you live in, and then there's the supernatural inhabited by Elohim of various kind, divine beings. Again, these weren't always good divine beings. There are evil divine beings. There are demons. That's all part of the supernatural world. And so Elohim here as a word basically means where does this being reside? In the natural or the supernatural world? Samuel is not a god. But she just responds, I see a god coming up out of the ground. And I see a god coming up out of the earth. I see... Somebody from the supernatural world. She'd never seen that before. That's why she screamed. She'd done everything with smoke and mirrors and maybe a little voice here and there. and A little bit of demonic possession, but nothing like this. And Saul is saying, what's his appearance? What does he look like? And she says, I see an old man. And he's wrapped in a robe. And the minute Saul hears that, he knows he is in the presence of Samuel. So he drops to his knees and he bows in front of Samuel. And then Samuel says, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Now, I don't know if at this point Saul can see the apparition or if it's just a woman. But for sure, we know Saul can hear the voice. Samuel says, why have you disturbed me? Why have you brought me up? And Saul says, I am in great distress and begins to tell Samuel his problems about the Philistines warring against him and how Yahweh has turned away from him. And he answers, God doesn't give him any more answers and the prophets don't tell him anything. The dreams, please, you know, what shall he do against this massive Philistine army? Please, Samuel, tell me what to do. I wonder how long of a pause there was before Samuel, in a ghost-like, otherworldly appearance. Man, I wonder what that looked like. This whole time the witch is frozen in terror and all Saul hears is the voice of Samuel or if he sees this apparition himself. And Samuel is with the Lord, Right? He was in paradise with God, and I think God allows him to be brought up. God allows this whole thing to occur by this evil witch to demonstrate his power and to remind Saul the trouble that he's in. The reason you haven't heard my voice, Saul? Do you really want to hear the reason why you haven't heard my voice? You should know by now well, Samuel speaks one last time. And he says, why do you ask me? 
The, the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because, Saul, you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines tomorrow in that battle. You're going to lose. And tomorrow in that battle, when the Philistines swarm and take over the Israelites, you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And I think Samuel points his ghostly like finger straight into the face of Saul. And then, poof, he's gone. And it says that Saul, he just falls on the ground full of fear. And he hadn't eaten all day and he'd probably been fasting because he's trying to apply these spiritual things in this world to pursuing evil darkness with witches over here. I mean, this man is messed up. Well, the witch in a moment of kindness sees that he's in trouble and gives him some food to eat. And so he eats and refreshes himself. It says he sits on the bed and just eats the food that the woman gave him. And he's sitting there and he's thinking about what he has just heard. He's reminded again of how Yahweh has rejected him. He's reminded again of why. Because he didn't obey. And thirdly, he's been told that Israel will lose tomorrow. The army of the Philistines will defeat Israel. That's a horrible prophecy to hear. And fourthly, and I wonder if most troublingly, he finds out that tomorrow, Saul and his two sons are going to be where Samuel is. But the thing is, they're not going to be with Samuel. Samuel is with God in the bosom of Abraham. The Bible later says, right? He's in paradise. He's with the Lord forevermore. What that means is you're going to be with me, Saul, in this other realm. In this other scary place. You're going to be in what the Bible talks about as Sheol. The area, the domain of the dead. The precursor to hell, Saul. You and your son are going to die tomorrow and join the realm of the supernatural. And when Saul realizes that, no matter of great food or great bread is going to cheer him up. And it says he just got up after eating and went away that night. So we have a battle between the Philistines and the Israeli army. On one side is David, 
who is trying to follow Yahweh but chooses wrongly and is now on the Philistine side about to fight against his own people. What in the world is he going to do? And on the other side, we have Saul who disobeyed God and has a heart of rejecting Yahweh as his Lord and has pursued witches and supernatural dark side of things and he's found out in the process that God's in control of everything. That Yahweh is the God of all gods, the king of all kings, almighty God, and he's in control of everything. And guess what? You're going to die tomorrow, Saul. You're going to die in this very battle that you are aligned up to fight. What's going to happen? How is this all going to turn out? Well, if you come back next week, we're going to find out what happens between David. We already know what's going to happen to Saul. But I just want to end with this simple thought. Choose right by pursuing God. And in our day and age, what the Bible says is choose right by pursuing Jesus. Don't give up choosing right. And when you do get discouraged and when you do get weary, talk about it with Jesus. Tell him your concerns. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And he is a high priest who, who understands our infirmities and our discouragements. He's been there. He never gave up. That's the difference. He never grew weary. That's the difference. Keep doing right. Keep doing right. Keep doing right. And when you get discouraged, talk to Jesus. And ask for his help. And ask him to help your unbelief. And to keep on doing right day after day after day after day. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.